Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The question for us is why was he put in that position? And we're going to get after that right now. Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. We have new information. The Trump insurrection at the Capitol was more dangerous than suspected. Listen to this. Everybody in there is a disgrace. It's a disgrace. That entire building is filled with treasonous traitors. Yes, sir. Death is the only remedy for what's in that building. Stand up. Every single one of those Capitol law enforcement officers, death is the remedy. It is the only remedy they get. They have defied their oath. So let's go back. This time, not with the Bible. Let's come back, not this time, with a Bible. You see plenty of people standing around them, nobody shouting them down. Many echoing that message that death is the only remedy. And those are people that Trump told he loved last week. And that guy, the ugly guy with the beard, wasn't alone. Dozens of people on the FBI's terror watch list, suspected white supremacists, according to The Washington Post, were reportedly in D.C. on Trump Insurrection Day for pro-Trump events. Now, you add that fact to the warnings that went out from our intel agencies and others telling the government to be ready for extremist activity. And the answer to why all that was ignored, why Capitol Police were overwhelmed like Officer Hodges, the answer becomes even more important. Five people died, but this could have been a massacre. The feds say the man you just heard shouting death is the only remedy, his name is Peter Francis Steger. He is now charged in the beating of a police officer. Again, they weren't just talk. He talked the talk, and then he went and attacked an officer, and there's video of it. And he did so with an American flagpole during that insurrection. The hate rant was around 30 minutes after the timestamp on this video that prosecutors say shows him beating a cop. Death is the only remedy, he says, after the beating. Now, there is no remedy for that kind of evil intent. But for so many others, the motivation to be there, to do those things, was false belief in election fraud. And the remedy for that is obvious. The truth These deluded minds need to hear the truth from the man who invited them there. We were invited here! We were invited by the President of the United States! I mean, there's so many people saying exactly that on tape. Stop with the Trump is being blamed. They blame Trump. They say he invited them. You want proof? There it is. Invited by Trump. It's all on tape. And though U.S. intel warns that his big lie that the election was stolen is still putting us in danger. They know that now, right? They saw it and they're still pushing it to this very day. Proof. The Democratic Party did violence to this country by attacking a president who I believe was legally elected on November 3rd. You believe. You're supposed to be a numbers and facts guy. You're supposed to be an academic. Peter Navarro, shame on you. You advise Trump and you will never advise anyone of consequence ever again because of what you did today and in all the days that led us here. Shame on him and on Trump. I call him Trump because he disgraced the office and he will be remembered as the worst. He still won't correct his lie that started this all. On top of the 100 arrests, more than 200 have been identified as suspects, according to the FBI director, who spoke publicly for the first time today since the Capitol attack. We know who you are if you're out there, uh, and FBI agents are coming to find you. Anybody who plots or attempts violence in the coming week should count on a visit. Now, he says in the coming week because the word is domestic terrorists are still plotting. Ray flags concerns online, chatter regarding events surrounding the upcoming inauguration. 
And look, the sad reality is our capital looks like a war zone. There are more troops deployed in our capital to protect us from ourselves than we have in the three Middle East war zones combined. Our forces are now filling Washington to protect us from the outgoing president and his mob. The National Mall is being shut down for the inauguration. Streets are being closed. No big monitors because there's still threat out there. And there are threats in all 50 states. We have to be honest. We have lost one of the signatures of our democracy, the peaceful transfer of power. The world can no longer look to us as a demonstration of that. It didn't happen. And now we're trying to figure out who knew. There's so many saying that the threats didn't get communicated to the people who were planning for that day. Why? Let's turn to Congressman Tim Ryan, Democrat from Ohio. He chairs an appropriations subcommittee that oversees the Capitol Police and says he's having a hard time getting answers. Thank you for coming back, sir. Always good to be with you, Chris. So linking facts uh, that you had these guys on the watch list who were in D.C. and that you had a number of them, it tells me here, visited by law enforcement before January 6th such that some others wound up not going. So they knew enough to go visit guys who were on the list, and they knew enough to warn about what might happen here, and yet it didn't seem to flow through to how we were prepared to keep you guys safe that day. What does that mean to you? Well, it's part of the epic fail, and I think the epic fail was not having the the troops, the support, the backup for those Capitol Police uh, from Anderson's story earlier, but it's also the breakdown of communication. And, and we don't have all the answers. You know how these things get. It's a he said, she said, uh, the, the, the captain or the uh, chief of the uh, police said, oh, I told the sergeant at arms. Now the FBI said we told somebody. So this we're going to have to unravel this thing, Chris. This is a, a, anywhere close to being over. And it's going to take a bicameral, bipartisan effort, much like the 9-11 Commission did to really you know, peel the onion back and, and see what the information flow looked like. Is it starting to stink to you? Do you believe that people knew and chose to do nothing? In the law, there's a distinction, right? Uh, you said fail. You have two types. Misfeasance, which is you did your job poorly. And malfeasance, which is you did your job poorly on purpose. Well, if, if we start hearing what the chief of police said, that the optics would look bad, and that's why the sergeant at arms said, well, we can't have National Guard troops here and that kind of thing, that that will be a huge problem because you, you talk about the optics of a, a few thousand National Guard troops that have been able to prevent the breaching of that perimeter originally, uh, those optics are a hell of a lot better than the optics we saw. And that's not the kind of leadership that tries to sweep something under the rug, ten things don't happen. Uh, and that's what we want to get to the, the bottom of. Who, who was the one making that call to say we don't need any more National Guard men and women uh, ready to prevent the breach because that's where the fault's going to lie. Now, the next concern is transparency, that you're having a hard time uh, getting answers. You'd said that the Capitol Police are kind of being like a black box so far and that you're hearing more from the media than for them. from them. Why? Uh, it's it's a part of the culture in the leadership there at the Capitol Police. And this has been a problem for a while, Chris. I will say after I said that and beat him up a little bit yesterday, uh, we got a phone call this morning and we got some answers to the committee staff people of questions that we had. But I shouldn't have to go on national TV and, 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 make, and be very critical of them in order to get a phone call back. This has been the problem. I mean, look, it's still happening, right? What was the problem on January 5th and 6th or 4th, 5th and 6th? breakdown in communication. Here we are a week later, and we still don't have the kind of communication that we want. That's the frustrating uh, part, and that's the frustrating part from the rank and file as well, because they're, not, they're still not being communicated with. Look, for what it's worth, Congressman, that's exactly why I do the show. Anytime you can give me information or come on and say it yourself in a way uh, that, you know, the, the power of the distribution forces people to defend themselves or to answer, yeah. uh, that's the job. 
Now it works, Chris. <laughs> good. I'm glad. The, it's troubling enough to worry about who may come at us. You know, come at you actually next from outside. Now there's this fear. I want to get this right from Representative Don Beyer of Virginia. Some in Congress are worried that their own colleagues might kill them. There's the overall sense that maybe if some of them have guns and likely the ones who are more into conspiracy theories and QAnon with the pedophilic satanic rings, are we safe from them? Talk to me about that. I've been in Congress uh, 18 years, Chris. I worked in Congress as a young person. I, I can't believe I even have to answer this question. But the reality of it is, and I've talked to a number of members of Congress who are afraid of other members of Congress, uh, being targeted by them, being harassed by them, following them around with the phone. Uh, and then the, the kicker is when Speaker Pelosi says we need metal detectors for everybody going on the floor, that in and of itself is a, is a huge red flag about the new world we're living in. But then having members of Congress say, I'm not going through there. I'm going to go around those metal detectors. I mean, after everything that just happened, people's lives in danger, families worried about them, trapped in the chamber, and you can't be unselfish enough to just walk through this metal detector. Well, if the why? rule is that you have to have a metal detector, why don't you arrest them if they walk around it? So what would happen to me? Well, I think what's what Speaker Pelosi's new uh, initiative is a $5,000 fine the first time you don't do it and a $10,000 fine the second time you don't do it. The Capitol Hill's obviously a little bit different than an airport or some other venue, uh, like a football game or something. But she is being very firm, and I think she needs to continue to do that, and I support her a 1,000 percent on that. Do you think this is somebody, you know, I don't know Don Beyer uh, of Virginia. Maybe you do. But... Do you think that there's a chance that somebody else in that room with you might set you up or take a shot at you? You know, I I just don't know. I I think we're living in a very, very uh, hyper environment for obvious reasons. And so that's where you are. I mean, the, the brain science bears this out. When your brain goes in the fight or flight mode and you're fearful, you begin to see threats everywhere. And unfortunately, that's where the entire country is right now. That's where the United States Congress is right now, including members of Congress. We're in a very heightened state of fear right now. And so members of Congress should acknowledge that and say, I'm going to do my part and not carry a gun on the House floor or walk through a metal detector. And so I can't say I personally uh, you know, fear that because I don't, but I know other members who do. And, and that should be respected and honored. And, and everybody should try to, you know, be unselfish and be a good citizen here and do the job. Now, look, there is something that can be done. It, it is now incontrovertible. Uh, the intelligence community keeps saying it keeps coming from different points of contact. You're now hearing it from people in the crowd about their motivation that these election fraud lies are fueling uh, the fervor. No question. And they're using no it as recruitment uh, rhetoric online. Uh, and you, you're hearing it in the tapes of why people came and that they will continue to come on that basis. What do you do about having Republicans acknowledge that this happened? You're not going to have the president, uh, the former president at the inauguration. That's going to be bad. I know some of you don't want him there, but that's going to be a bad sign uh, in yep. terms of people who believe this was rigged. What can Republicans do? What should they do? What are you asking them to do to legitimize the election? Chris, I think we need to do something very simple. I think we need to have a resolution in the House and in the Senate that is very straightforward and the lawyers could work out the language that the that Joe Biden won the election, that every legal process was exhausted and that they had a chance to go to the courts and and work that angle. And they exhausted those options. And Joe Biden is legally the president of the United States. And just put that up and let all those members of Congress who maybe didn't want to vote for impeachment and there weren't hearings and they had some red herring there that they could hang their hat on. But it's just straightforward because you're so right. If you don't get to the truth, if we don't start getting to the truth and operating from the same set of facts, 
nothing else is going to be able to move forward. Nothing else is going to heal. And that's what Mitch McConnell said in his speech on the Senate floor before the rioters came in. He said, we have to start operating from the same set of facts. Right. He said Biden won. Lindsey Graham said Biden won. So that, this should not be a heavy lift, but get them on record and make them make a choice. Because if the leaders of the Republican Party don't acknowledge that, we are not going to be able to move forward. You're going to continue to have the tail wagging the dog. They certainly can't keep asking for unity, as hypocritical as that is with what they ignored right. with Trump. But even now, they can't ask for it if they want to acknowledge what they know to be true. Congressman Tim Ryan, you have this platform. These answers matter. Uh, we need you guys to be safe so you can do your job. So Appreciate use it, it as you like. And God bless and be Thank safe. You. You're the best. Take care. Thanks. You know, these images are really helping us uh, tell the story. The reality is told by the people who did the bad deeds. Uh, One of the wildest images is this one. You've seen this guy. The QAnon shaman, right? A joke if the guy weren't standing in the Capitol trying to overthrow Congress. The federal charges he now faces are no conspiracy fantasy. His lawyer is here for the first national TV interview. What is the deal with this guy that makes him any different from what you just assume by looking at him? And will 17 Republican senators really risk their careers? I can't even believe I said that. I can't believe that that's true. But anyway, what's the chance that they would cross the line once Trump is no longer president? We'll take up the latest workings from those people and the players around them with Dana Bash and John Harwood next. So Senator McConnell has tossed the impeachment trial into the Democrats' laps, effectively. How will Senate Democrats move forward as President-elect Biden tries to shift focus to his COVID relief plan? Now, tonight he spoke and he urged action in this time of distress as he rolls out his nearly $2 trillion answer. The crisis of deep human suffering is in plain sight. and There's no time to waste We have to act and we have to act now. All right, let's bring in John Harwood and Dana Bash. Dana, people talk about how uh, Biden and McConnell talk more than you might think, but he's got to deal with the Democrats also. What is the Mm -hmm. thinking in terms of how they do the most to advance the agenda? Does that include doing a Senate trial or are they worried about it? They're worried about it. Uh, but they know that it's going to be very hard to not do a Senate trial, given the fact that it's going to be in the Senate's lap and that Democrats are uh, are going to be in control. Uh, but I talked to Biden uh, transition officials, soon to be administration officials, who say that they are having real conversations about finding a way to make sure not to take their eye off the ball on things like COVID, which the president-elect talked about, like the economic uh, despair that so many people in America are in right now, never mind the third goal that they have, which is um, confirming a cabinet so that they can deal with some of these issues. It's really, really important uh, to them. And they are having those conversations on a daily, multiple times a day uh, conversations with the Democratic leaders to figure out how they're going to do it. I'm not sure that they're there yet. Brother John, is there reason to believe that they can do two things at once there, that the impeachment won't cancel out cooperation? Yes, I think they can. Uh, And, you know, it's not ideal for Joe Biden to have this um, uh, trial going on as he begins his administration. But uh, violent insurrection against the United States is not ideal. Sometimes history requires you to do some things and puts issues in your lap. So I think Uh, uh, They will attempt to do uh, business, stand up a government. I think Mitch McConnell uh, is not uh, resistant to that. I think he will help Joe Biden do that. And I think, interestingly, this trial, uh, on the basis of what we know now, I would not expect that Republicans, 17 Republicans, would side with Democrats to convict President Trump. But I think the very fact that they would not convict President Trump probably increases the prospects that some of them would cooperate with uh, Joe Biden on some of the legislative initiatives, including the COVID package he announced tonight. You know, Dana, in a way, the Democrats will be doing the Republicans work for them, because if they try 
Trump, and I, I know they most likely will, and, you know, settle down, all the, you know, people on the left to crush me every time I even question it, but it's worth discussing. They're discussing it. We might as well discuss it. But if they do try him, and if they were to get the 17 cross-line votes, they'd really be doing the Republicans a huge favor, because they'd be amputating Trump from relevancy. So the Democrats, you know, they're doing, they're helping the Republicans in a way by going after this guy, No. <laughs> That's that's one argument. There are really different points of view uh, among Republicans I talk to, and some of them are saying it publicly about what the right political answer is, whether or not one is uh, what you just said, uh, that it seems to be where Mitch McConnell was suggesting um, this week in a, uh, you know, by getting that information to the New York Times and CNN confirming it, uh, that that is the best way to rid the Republican Party of President Trump uh, is to make clear that he to convict him for this impeachment. And then the other point of view is just the opposite, that doing this makes him a martyr, uh, makes him uh, it makes it easier for him to play the victim card and continues uh, the fervor and the anger and the, and the fomenting that he has done uh, to people who have been radicalized, like, unfortunately, those who we saw on January 6th. Mm. So we don't know the answer to that. There are, again, there are really different points of view. And it's fascinating to see that debate inside the Republican Party. John, how uh, fertile is the ground of this can or can't impeach a president after he's out of office? I mean, there's precedent for it. It's happened before. I think it will be part of the defense for uh, Donald Trump's team to say that it's unconstitutional, as well as the other defenses they will make, which is that uh, Trump didn't mean for them to do what they did. Uh, But, you know, on this question you were just talking about with Dan, I don't think it's one or the other. I think both are actually true. Uh, I think, yes, among some, uh, Donald Trump will be a martyr if he is um, tried and convicted or if he's tried and not convicted, he'll be a martyr for having gone through the trial. Uh, On the other hand, uh, he is being diminished in this process. And what we're seeing is tremendous pressure on the fault line within the Republican coalition. You have a bunch of high income people uh, who um, finance the Republican Party, whose principal concerns are tax cuts and deregulation. Uh, And the shock troops they have to win elections are uh, white working class voters who are very um, uh, concerned about uh, the uh, cultural changes in the country, the increasing diversity of the country. They're white people who uh, don't like the fact that the country is becoming less white um, uh, and concerned with the way the economy's changed. So people with less education can't do as well uh, in the economy as they could in the past. And the, the pressure on that fault line has the potential for Uh, harming the Republican Party. So I don't think I don't think it's a question of, you know, the Democrats uh, uh, doing the Republicans work, because if they convict Donald Trump, Donald Trump goes away. No, he's not going to go away, uh, but he is going to be diminished. And the Republican Party is going to have to figure out uh, whether they whether they think they can actually continue to keep this coalition together, which is two groups of people with very different interests and concerns or whether that fracture is going to get bigger. And just to remind those at home, you guys know this already, uh, of the rules, impeaching somebody twice doesn't mean they can't run again. Convicting them with a two-thirds vote doesn't mean they can't run again. You then have to have 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 a subsequent vote to have a simple majority. And yes, Mm -hmm. presumptively, if you can get two-thirds to convict, you probably can get half to ban from office, but that's what it takes. It's a protracted process. Dana Bash, John Harwood, thank you both. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. All right. So a lot of the faces of this insurrection are going to go down in history, in textbooks. One of them will likely be this guy, the suspect who's become one of the faces of just how whacked out this all was. He's become known as the QAnon shaman. I want to be clear. I see nothing funny about this guy or his situation. But I do think it is worth speaking to his lawyer because his defense and his request goes right to the heart of the president's responsibility. You'll see next. Jacob Chansley wants a pardon from Trump. Who's that? Oh, you know who he is. This guy. He also goes by Jake Angeli, but he's really just known as 
This kooky guy in the face paint with the horns who took part in the riot at the Capitol. He calls himself the QAnon shaman. I don't know what that means, and I don't care. What I care about is why he says he was there. Because I've heard it from a lot now on tape and from representatives. So Chansley is looking at a growing number of charges. He is up to uh, six federal counts now, including violent entry. His lawyer is Al Watkins, and I appreciate him coming on uh, to explain his rationale. Counselor, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Um, So just to be clear, your client believes that he was invited to go. He was told to go. He was instructed to go by the commander in chief himself, Donald Trump. Is that accurate? It's very accurate to say that not only my client, but a large number of individuals who were present felt like they were to be able to have their voices by politicians. And they by Donald the person to walk with them, Pennsylvania Avenue. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Al. I'm not hearing you well. When you turn your head to the right, I hear you. Turn your head to the right and talk for a second. Uh, I feel like I'm... You're breaking in and out on me. Let me do this. Where's your microphone? Uh, I've had a great time. And quite frankly, that is... Hold on a second. Al, Al, let me do something. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, talk for one more second. I want to make sure I get your sound right. All right. What what more do you need? You sound there. It's just it's cutting in and out. I'm not messing with you. It is. I just want to make sure people get this plainly um, that uh, and that your client and others say they believe that they were just following what the president wanted them to do by going in and overtaking the Capitol. All right. So let's talk. Let's talk real talk, right? But time for everyone, including the universally stopped, marginalized human beings. What we have these people, not like those who in 1978 were in Georgetown. They are the only thing missing. No. Al, 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 I'm not cutting the, you the off. Kool-Aid. I'm doing you a favor. Al, let me take a yeah. quick break. It's worth it. I want to get your sound right because people need to hear what you're saying. Um, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a break. I'll get the comms right. If I can't get them on camera the right way, I'll get them on the phone because you need to hear it. Okay? It is fundamental to our understanding of why people would do something as wrong as they did. Be right back. Sorry I couldn't get the comms right, but this matters too much to do it uh, half hineed. So the QAnon shaman, that's what he calls himself. He's the fool with the painted face and the weird horns on his head. Uh, One of the people who decided to break into the Capitol. His attorney's on the phone with me now. His name is Al Watkins. I want you to hear why this guy, and supposedly, according to his counselor, through his client, a lot of them felt like this is what the president was telling them to do. Al, you can hear me, yes? Yes, I can. I I want to tell you, it's really important. We, We should stop calling people fools because we have a large percentage of our population who spent a great deal of time in their lives hanging on every word of President Trump. My client, it did not break into the Capitol. My client had the doors to the Capitol held for him by Capitol Police. My client did not shroud his face in secrecy. He wasn't wearing a bulletproof vest. My client was not armed. He didn't have zip ties. My client fought or was in the military, served honorably, no criminal background whatsoever. And he, like a lot of other disenfranchised people in our country, felt very, very, very solidly in sync with President Trump. They felt, he felt like his voice was for the first time being heard. And what ended up happening over the course of the lead up to the election, over the course of the period from the election to January 6th, it was a driving force by a man he hung his hat on 
he hitched his wagon to. He loved Trump every word. He listened to him. He felt like he was answering the call of our president. My client wasn't violent. He didn't cross over any police lines. He didn't assault anyone. He was there at the invitation of our president. All right. Who was going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue with him. Okay. Couple things. One, uh, I call him a fool because that's what he looks like, not because he voted for Trump. And, and so you know, he is a genuine shaman. He has been a long-standing professor what? of that faith. Okay, whatever. I'm just saying, uh, the guy ascribes to QAnon. Uh, it's not rational thought. Uh, he's in a place he's not supposed to be. I don't care if somebody held the door open for him or not. Uh, the reason they were probably holding the door on, as best we believe right now, is because there was a mob of angry people uh, hurting them and overwhelming them. And he was walking around with a six-foot spear. All that to the side. The president and his defenders say, whoa, I never told him to do anything like this. This was just me saying, pay attention. Uh, We're angry about this. Let your voice be heard. Nobody told him to break into the Capitol. Your response? Well, we all have to understand that the words that were spoken by the president meant something, not just to my client. They meant something to a lot of people. They listened to those words and those words meant something to them. And they had a right to rely on the words of their president that was screwed forth worldwide, and they did. And now they're turning around, they're getting arrested, as well many should be. I mean, we had an abysmal, abysmal, horrible compromise of our, of our democracy at a, at a vital, fragile time. What compromise and, of our democracy? Well, you have the compromise of our capital, our great capital. Oh, yes. I thought you were talking about the the election. I thought you were talking about the election. Yeah, this was an insurrection uh, and he was part of it, your client. And to my and my client was not. Look, let's talk candidly. The -hmm. guy's wearing a fur. He's he's a shaman. He has horns on. He 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 practices yoga, meditates all day long. Couldn't be a more a more gentle, soft spoken human being. He's not a violent man. He's not alone. And what we as a nation have to understand is our president needs to be accountable for that. And the only honorable thing for him to do, for those who were peace-loving, for those who did go there with, with peace in mind, that weren't going there to be violent, Trump needs to stand up and own these people. He owes them an obligation. He has an obligation to them. He has an obligation to our nation. And do what? It's not going to happen. And do what, Al? Oh, give, give a pardon. Give a pardon. to the, You want him you to pardon the, the people that broke in to the Capitol and killed a policeman and was oh, trying well, remember, to get to members of Congress? The remember the following. What am I? I'm not. My role is not to judge somebody. My role is to be an advocate. If there's one iota of a chance that the guy who's, who's the president of our country who invited everybody down Pennsylvania will give my client a pardon, you know what? I'm going to do it. Now, do I, am I holding my breath thinking that Donald Trump is going to be sitting around going, you know what, let's, uh, go, what's the name of that guy with the horns? Yeah, I want, let's give him a pardon. But who knows? With Trump, you never know. He may say, I want the guy with the horns. Next thing you know, maybe he's represented by, by, the, by the shaman instead of Rudy Giuliani. Al. This is not a time. This is serious stuff we're dealing with here. Of I mean, your client's a little bit of a joke and asking for a pardon just kind of makes everything a little bit razor focused of how absurd this entire situation is. Well, why does this point. man now, believe? That's the point now, isn't it? Why? Do, well, I don't know what the point is anymore, to be honest. But what why does he believe what the president tells him? There has All been right, no well, proof of same, any election for the same fraud. Reason, for same the reason same he believes reason. in QAnon, because he's not thinking well, about what he believes. You know, in 1978, a whole bunch of people in San Francisco followed a guy by by the name of Jim Jones down to Georgetown. It was a cult. Yeah, that's right. And you know, the only thing different here, there's no no Kool-Aid. So you think this guy, the shaman, has this kind of complete devotion to Trump and believes that Trump said to him, you go down there with the rest of these people and try to stop this and get into that capital. Well, look, I've heard you. I've heard you on 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 air say, hey, look, the president's words mean something. The president said, I'm going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue with you. 
you know, the president has the right to go into any federal building he wants, anytime he wants, with whomever he wants. That's not trespass. You have a guy, you have a guy who, look, you and I can judge everyone in the world, but that's not our role. We all need to recognize the fact that our nation is filled with people who do, in fact, believe, and they had a right to believe on on the words. They had a right to rely on the words of our president, whether we voted for him or not. Absolutely. Look, uh, absolutely. I can't uh, I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying about the persuasiveness of the highest official in the land. Um, I get you on that. Now, it is an interesting coincidence to me that the two times you and I have had discourse uh, is once representing this guy, and the other time is when you were with Mr. McGlosky. Um, And interestingly, the only other time that I wanted to be on air was when I was representing the young child of Anthony Lamar Smith, the young male of of color in St. Louis who was brutally murdered by a white cop. I don't, yeah, I, I, we didn't talk then. I just talked to you with McGlosky. And we'll remember, before that conversation, you and I remember this. It wasn't off the record because we were on camera. McGlosky was saying, it's not about Trump. I'm not a Trump guy. I've always worked with uh, uh, the black community. I've done a lot of pro bono work as an attorney. It has nothing to do with that. And then after the interview, he became like this super Trumper and went on Fox all the time as an advocate for Trump and everything he was about. How'd you wind up in both of those situations? Well, how I end up in a lot of situations is something that's for, for, for me to know, and, and it's not a secret. I work really hard. I'm an advocate. I, I work for my clients. My duty is always to my client. That being said, there are times and occasions where people applaud me. And the next time I'm representing somebody in a high-profile case, the same people who applauded me are trying to string me up. That happens. That's not a concern to me. My concern is justice and advocacy for my client. Well, look, I'll tell you, it is a really interesting perspective that you bring with this guy, Watkins, that he really believes that he was doing what the president told him to do, and he wants a pardon. Uh, Al Watkins, thank you for presenting the case. And he wasn't alone. I understand. Al Watkins, thank you for making the case, and thank you for bearing with me on the comms. My pleasure. Bye-bye. How bizarre is that? Now, on one hand, not bizarre at all. The president has been putting that message out. Look, I know this guy is not a great, you know, he's not, he's not a great face for uh, the typical Trumper. You know, some of you may want to believe that's a typical Trump. It isn't. Okay. This guy is an eccentric, but the idea that they thought they were going down there, it's not just owned by this one guy with the hat on. A lot of those people felt like that. What will that mean for the legacy of this man and for the conscience of the people in Congress who are denying that reality now? We'll be right back. All right, so there's a big question we're going to debate right now, and you're going to be hearing a lot about it in the Senate. Can you convict somebody in an impeachment setting when they're already out of office? Is that doable, constitutional, and right? Let's debate it right now. I got two people on both sides of this issue, uh, scholars of law both, Steve Vladek and Ross Garber. Good to have you both. Thank you very much. Ross is of the mind that no, you can't. Steve is of the mind that yes, you can. Steve, let's start with you. Why is it okay to go forward with this even if Trump will be out of office? Yeah, Chris, I think the central reason why is because impeachment is not just about removal from office. As the Constitution makes abundantly clear, the Senate is not just voting on whether this person should still be in office. The Senate also has a chance to vote on whether he should be allowed to hold office in the future. And with President Trump, that's obviously a particular concern, given that he still refuses to concede that he lost the election. He's made no bones about thinking about running in 2024. It would render the power to disqualify an officer entirely pointless if the person being tried could resign the moment before the last senator vote, Senator Young, and thereby deprive the Senate not just of the power to convict, but of the power to disqualify. Now, Ross, other than being worried about the QAnon shaman showing up and sending Trump down the hole, 
Why do you believe it would be wrong to try him once he has uh, already left office? Yeah, Steve makes some some very interesting points. Um, and I think what you have to do is start with the language of the Constitution. And the language of the Constitution, and I've got it here, Article so 2, Section 4 says the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, and high crimes and misdemeanors. That is the, it's the president, vice president, all civil officers. What it doesn't say is that a former president, it doesn't say that any citizen who has served as president, it's president, vice president, etc. Gotcha, in office. I take the point. notice that that... I take the yeah, point. Let's bounce it to Steve clause. so we can do point counterpoint. Yeah. How do you deal with the language? Yeah. Chris, I read all the language. Uh, so Ross points to Article 2, but what about Article 1, Section 3, where in talking about the Senate's power and the Senate's role, Article 1, Section 3 says it's not just about trying the impeachment. It's also about voting on disqualification. Again, the argument that the Senate cannot try a former officer, which, by the way, the Senate has rejected twice, um, requires us to read the power to disqualify out of the Constitution because on that view, Chris, every single officer in that position would just resign right before the Senate cast well, the last Steve, vote. Well, Steve, don't ram, so, run so, past. So, hold on a second. Uh, as we all learned, don't yeah. run past your own example. When has the Senate rejected right. Ross's argument that uh, just because you're out of office doesn't uh, means that we don't try you? When have they rejected right. that? So the, the, the very first impeachment in American history was Senator Blount in the late 1790s. Um, and the Senate actually continued with his trial even after he had been expelled from the Senate. And then in 1876, there was former Secretary of War Belknap, who resigned literally, Chris, the morning the House was beginning the impeachment proceeding. Both the House and the Senate took votes in that process where they both held, yes, we have the power to try and potentially convict and disqualify former Secretary Belknap, even though he has resigned. So we've got Article 1, Section 3, and we've got historical practice all pushing in favor of the idea that just because you are out of office, gotcha. once you've impeached, that all doesn't preclude the Senate So Chris, proceeding. Ross, to you. Yeah, so, so not so much. Let, let's say, again, let's look at the, at the actual language of the, uh, of the provision that Steve cites. Article 1, Section 3, said judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than removal from office and disqualification. And that language is important. And shall disqualification. Not further. Disqualification yeah, will be the key not, word for Steve. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to read all the words. Shall not extend further. Here's the reason for that provision. It's that we took our whole impeachment notion from England. Right. And in England, impeachment uh, by Chopped your head off. Meant Meant, well, potentially, <laughs> right. removed from office, you go to prison, you could be fined, you get chopped your head off. Article 1, Section 3 says, uh-uh, no, no, no. The, the worst they can do to you here, not chop your head off, is you're removed from office and you're disqualified. What about the disqualification that, part? Yeah, and you, for sure. And you'll notice there that it doesn't expand who it applies to. And, and, the, and the examples Steve cites, one, is it's notable, we've had tens of thousands, maybe more of officials, and no official has actually been, former official has been convicted. But there's two examples Steve cites I think are interesting. In the, in the first case, the Blunt case, the charges were actually dismissed, and one of the arguments was that there was no jurisdiction. In the second case, the Belknap case, which everybody talks about, what's interesting is if you look at the trial record there, what the senator said is we're going to actually not dismiss the charges at the beginning. We don't have enough votes to do that. But they acquitted him based mostly 22 of the 25 votes for acquittal, mostly on a lack of jurisdiction. And, and again, it, it's notable that that's the last time anybody even tried this. And my concern is two things. Number one is you provide a disincentive to resignation. What you want to do is encourage a corrupt official to resign. That's number one. And number two, this notion that we're going to have, you know, you serve in office uh, and, and you're forever subject to impeachment, uh, and disqualification is well. It's not forever. Sort of astounding. It's not. Concept. It's not for. You're well, extending the principle right now. But let me bounce it back over to Steve. Yeah. And that the examples do not meet the moment. So I mean, I think Chris, that's true in both directions. I mean, with regard to the Blunt case, keep in mind these were the folks who were in the room when the Constitution was written, who allowed the trial to proceed to an acquittal, right? Knowing that Blunt had been expelled by the Senate. So I think the historical examples actually support the notion that there's jurisdiction. But Chris, again, I don't want to lose the larger point. The folks who make the argument Ross is making 
have no good answer for what to do about the disqualification power. And I think the critical point here is, here is the crystal clear case for it. We didn't need that for Richard Nixon, who was a broken man, who everyone understood was not going to run for office again after his resignation. Donald Trump is making noises about this. So I think this is exactly why the disqualification power is in the Constitution. And on the reading that you can't disqualify someone after they've left office, we would never be able to disqualify anybody because they'd all just resign on their way to the Senate for trial. Ross, give me a quick button. Are you just trying to make it so that Trump can run again? No, and I, I got no dog in this. I'm, I'm reading the Constitution. This is how I size it up. I think it is very likely that the Senate, either at the beginning or after trial, decides it has no jurisdiction and makes that and makes that clear. I think with respect to disqualification, isn't it? It is an adjunct to uh, to removal, removal and disqualification, and it has never, throughout our entire history, ever, not once, ever, 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 been applied in the way my friend suggests. All right, guys, I appreciate you both uh, very much. You know, it's a little in the weeds, but a little isn't. I think that the, you know, the biggest thing to think about here is there's a duty of the Senate to pick up what the House has put down unless Pelosi doesn't hand it over. And you would be hanging out to dry those Republicans who crossed the line. Uh, and you'd basically be sending a disincentive program uh, through the House ranks that you may not, you know, you may wind up being alone on this. But it's an interesting debate, and you guys have made it more understandable. So Ross Garber, thank you. Steve Vladek, thank you. Time for the big show, CNN Tonight, with D. Lemon. Where do we go from here? My Cajun shop. Oh, you're Cajun. (laughs) C. Shop. No, just call me D. Shaman instead of D. Lemon. Uh, Listen, heal me, brother. (laughs) I saw it coming. I was listening in the office. I was like putting my jacket on to come up, and I heard the guys talk about, you know, and he did it throwing the president under the bus. My client did this because the president said that. It's bad for Trump. It's bad for Trump. And then I was like, three, two. I was like, like, okay, and he's going to say pardon in three, two. Boom, and he said it. It's bad for Trump because you know what? What this guy Watkins is right about, the lawyer, Mm -hmm. is that, while his client may be unique in terms of physical presentation, he is not unique in terms of motivation. Yeah. And he's, he was invited in. OK, well, all of the people who were storming, all of the madness, if you see the surroundings and you put the whole thing in full context, he didn't think he should be there. Come on, man. Oh, no, he's got trouble legally. He's got trouble. But I'm talking about the mindset. Yes. You know, the more people who keep saying that, you know, at first it's an article of convenience. Yeah. I don't want to go to jail. I'm going to blame it on the president. But the more and more people who do that, assuming you wind up having a trial Mm. about this president's role in an insurrection, that is bad evidence coming his way. What we call bad facts. Yeah. And listen, uh, there there is a reason I'm just saying, you know, he's like he's a shaman or whatever. They call him Q shaman for a reason because it's QAnon. Right. He calls himself conspiracy. I don't know who they is. Right. And then, listen, I just. There's a reason he's not wearing a shirt and he wants everything to be seen, all the tattoos and whatever. So I would, I would just encourage people to go and do their research on what all of that reportedly means, what he was wearing. And then you'll get a whole idea, not just someone who's going there peacefully saying, oh. Yeah, no, no, no. The guy is a complete provocateur. There's yeah. no question about it. Yeah. And he was walking around with a big spear. Yeah. Again, I don't think the guy has much chance of escaping any culpability. Yeah. Um, there is absolutely no color of authority that was invested in those people to allow him into the building. He may have thought there was. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> but that doesn't mean there was. Yeah. Um, and I think that it is very telling of what is to come in yeah. this country. And can you imagine if the president pardons him? That's going to be a whole nother thing. I, won't, I, I hesitate to even put that out there. But you know, what I, you know what I know and believe this was all about. I told you last night, and I truly believe that 100%. That's what, it, that's what this was about. Um, I do, but I will tell you this. There are a lot of people who voted for Trump who don't agree with you. That's fine. It doesn't, they are allowed to their own opinion. It doesn't mean that they're right, but they're allowed to their own opinion. And I believe what I said last night. If oh, you absolutely that, you do. But I'm saying they that, look at this mob. They say, that's not me. I'm, not, I'm nothing like those people. Those, I, I would never have those, done that. But they're all people, wrong. Those people voted the way you voted and for who you voted for. I'm just saying. Right. But just because um, you vote for the same people doesn't mean that you believe the same thing. It puts you in the same crowd. Yes, it does. It puts you in the same group vote, of people who voted for him. You but you may not have people, the same reasons. You, you may not have the same understanding. You vote for... People who have common interests. If someone has a common interest, people who vote like you have a common interest is you. That's just how it is. You don't vote conser- You don't vote for the most liberal person in the world because you're a conservative. You vote for someone who shares your common interest. 
That's how that's how voting works. Right. That's how but political it doesn't parties mean, work. It doesn't that's mean how that you believe affiliation work. But it doesn't mean that a voter believes that their vote means what you think it means. Well, but it also believes it also means that you share something with that person and you must own up to it. And you have to, we have to stop saying giving people an out for, the, for people who represent the worst behavior. Stop trying to make an excuse for people who voted for someone who has those beliefs. That you may think that you don't believe that, but in a way, what you're doing, you're complicit with it because you are voting for the same type of person. You are, and not only that, my message was also to the lawmakers who are, mostly for the lawmakers who are making an excuse for the people who were there. And still, and still, on the day that there was violence, probably the worst violence that we have seen at the Capitol, they're still voting right. with those folks. That I, is where, that yeah, is the, the, the craziness. I, I, I am with you because I'll tell you what. And again, I'm not making excuses for anybody. Yeah. Uh, I'm covering these prosecutions for a reason. If I thought they didn't matter or they were wrongful, I would either say that or I wouldn't cover them. I'm saying maybe Mr. whatever he calls himself and a lot of <laughs> others... <laughs> did believe that they had a righteous cause. But the lawmakers, to the one, know there's no righteousness to the cause. They are sophisticated enough and given enough information by their staff and their surroundings to know there is nothing to the allegation that this election was colored by fraud. Yeah. And they know it. Well, and they, they did it anyway, but, but, and that makes them worse. So you're making my point, because it's not political. They know better. So they The know lawmakers, that, absolutely. They know that there's something deeper and that they are trading off of that, with, which they know the is deeper. The lawmakers, absolutely. Yeah, and they know it's All not the politics. voters, not necessarily. But they don't. The voters don't know that, but that's what it is. And it is, listen, you can be a very smart person and delude yourself. Listen, I got to run. And I'll say the, the thing that people hated the most last night, I think you said it, but I didn't because I, maybe someone was talking to me, but they said, Don didn't say he loves Chris. So I love you, brother. I got to go. I don't know that I believe it anymore. <laughs> I love you, D. Lemon. You Tell the truth, zip brother. It. I'm going to come out of this door. And, and, I love and you, and I'll see you soon. Give you a smacker. There's my smack. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.